Welcome to Aches and Gains, a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, pain specialist at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Pain has reached epidemic proportions, and chronic pain affects a staggering 25% or more of the population. Its human impact is real and is felt by infants, children, all the way to older adulthood. But there's hope and there's treatment. This show offers compelling stories of those who found relief and offers insight into treatments that can ease pain and human suffering. Today, we're going to hear about how pain is conquered on the battlefield in regions of conflict like Iraq and Afghanistan. Derek McGinnis, a young military veteran who was awarded the Purple Heart, will tell us how an explosion led to his leg amputation and then how a simple injection became life-changing. We'll then learn from Dr. Tripp Buckenmeyer about how innovative nerve blocks performed soon after a soldier is wounded is relieving agonizing pain and assisting recovery, rehabilitation, and reintegration into civilian life. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Neurogesics, and Boston Scientific. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Games. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Welcome back to Aches and Gains. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. Derek McGinnis, a hospital corpsman in Iraq in 2004, was driving in an ambulance when a suicide driver hit and exploded his vehicle. Derek's life was shattered. His left leg was amputated, and his pain was intense. Today, he takes us through his journey from near death to becoming a triathlete. Derek, welcome to the show. Hi, sir. Thank you for having me. Derek, tell us about your journey. I mean, and please start with a description of what your life was like before the injury, and then tell us what your responsibilities were in the Navy before your injury. Basically, what my duties were, I was in the Navy for 11 years, and it was, it was my duty to provide health care to service members, emergency and or otherwise. And, and my duties in, in Iraq took me to, to working with the Marine Corps. And so, was, for example, if somebody was to be injured, I was a, a first first responder able to be there to, to, to provide health care and aid and need uh, in emergency situations and also with uh, aches and pains and, and general sick call type of um, uh, medical cases as well. So set the stage for us, the day of the explosion, uh, when you were in Iraq in 2004. In the Anbar province, there was a, a large push to retake uh, Fallujah, which is a large town. The Marine Corps received orders for us to go in and to secure the area to get, to get out, get rid of all the insurgents. What do you remember during the incident? Uh, that is, when the ambulance was hit by the suicide driver. What exactly happened? We had gotten word that there was injured Marines, um, and we were on our way to go medevac them out. They had gotten hit. From what I understand, the enemy was parked on the side of the road. It was going to be. It was laced with uh, bombs, and its mission was to just pull out and crash into us and explode himself. It's considered a VVID. Before you know it, the vehicle had come out and crashed into the passenger side where I was sitting. You know, I, I, got, I was blessed that the vehicles had separated far enough after the impact that uh, trigger, he wasn't able to blow himself up. And I think that may have uh, you know, further saved the rest of our lives. Um, 
and of course the wonderful care of the, the corpsman who came on out and helped me in the back and, and the Marine Corps who secured the, the scene and uh, allowed me to be medevaced and stabilized to, to get to get onto further care. Tell us about the specific injuries that you sustained. Initially my leg was still attached but it, it was basically not fully attached. I had shrapnel also in my, um, or debris that had gotten into my right eye. I had, a, a, of course, a tension pneumothorax um, on my lungs, and, of course, severe shrapnel everywhere in my hands and my wrist. Uh, I got real close to losing my left arm, um, and then the shrapnel through my right foot. But on my left parietal lobe, I had a bleed, and so with, which, with the pressure, it ended up turning into a traumatic brain injury, where I had a spend some extensive uh, time in rehabilitation at a, at a VA hospital. Derek, tell us about the bony overgrowth, the stump pain, and the phantom limb pain that you experienced after your leg was removed. The pain that initially was in my residual limb was, was all caused from a neuroma. Um, and it's a hayward nerve that actually spreads out almost like uh, fingers, if you will, and it becomes very hypersensitive. The pain that I was receiving in, in, in my residual limb was directly related to the neuroma, and the tissue it caused. It took um, with my journey. I, I was I was able to go to Texas to be able to get find that diagnosis from another military provider um, at Brook Army Medical. Was where the doctor discovered it. Was able to move, do another, agree to another procedure. Where he was able to to go back in to square away the nerve ending, and also to grind down some other tissue that was growing um, on my on my residual limb itself. So that resolved a lot of the. The, the, the limb pain itself. I had always had the types of residual, or excuse me, types of phantom limb pain. It's almost like my leg is not there, but the pain is still in my foot or it's in my calf or it's in, it's in the leg and it's real pain. And also I've had cramps, like as if I was running and the back of my leg had cramped up. I'm Dr. Paul Christo and you're listening to Aches and Gains. We'll be right back. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, a leading pharmaceutical company focused in specialty-driven markets, including pain management, and dedicated to improving and protecting quality of life for people around the world. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. We're talking with Derek McGinnis, a veteran of the Iraq War whose leg was amputated when a suicide driver hit and exploded his vehicle. Which particular treatments transformed your life, that is, those that reduced the neuroma pain and phantom limb pain? The thing that transformed my life um, with the treatment was, it really came down to a provider. And this provider, I am so grateful to to this day, and I always will be, but it wasn't necessary the procedure. It was the fact that he listened to me as a person and as a patient and we had not had a relationship but we had a it seemed like okay okay where are you at where do we want to go let's get this done let's let me take a look at it i believed it was in my head which caused of course depression and anger and anxieties and a whole host of things were you suicidal was, at all at any one time i, I can't say that I, I was completely um my driving factor was was a. Uh, was I was blessed with my my wife and, I, and when I first got injured, I, she, we were pregnant with my firstborn son, and uh, I needed to be a dad. So those thoughts may have crossed, but I knew I could never go that road. I wouldn't be here today or being this successful if it wasn't for that relationship with that provider that wanted to listen to me. 
and that led to, of course, the procedure for the neuroma. Did the doctor do any type of a nerve block that made a difference? He did a, a simple nerve block on the leg, and he isolated uh, my pain right away. So you, you may to picture this. I'm in a clinic, and obviously I'm an amputee, and I'm just, I'm not crazy. I have this pain, and it's real, and, and the doc just figured it out. So I'm hopping around in therapy on one leg, just excited as heck, you know, that we have resolved. And um, You're a triathlete now, now, aren't you? Yeah, now I am. Now I am. And, and that was the biggest goal, is being able to run and train and uh, to do well. And that's what was the next part of it. It was, okay, so hey, I'm good to go now, so let's see where this can take us. Derek, what would you recommend to others in their search to overcome pain? Thing, what I would recommend it is just, to find that relationship I was alluding to earlier. Don't stop and don't quit. Just keep pushing. Um, there's people out there, there's specialists, in, even in rural areas, if you have to go make that extra push, because what it comes down to is, is quality of life and living our life, and that's truly what matters. Derek, thank you so much for joining us today on Eggs and Gains. After the break, we'll hear from Dr. Trip Buckenmeyer of the Walter Reed Army Medical Center about how innovative nerve blocks are bringing needed relief for terrible wounds sustained on the battlefield. Eggs and Gains is sponsored by Endo Pharmaceuticals, a U.S.-based specialty healthcare solutions company that delivers innovative diagnostics, drugs, devices, and clinical data to meet the needs of patients in areas such as pain, urology, oncology, and endocrinology. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Welcome back to Aches and Gains. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. Pain is the number one complaint of soldiers, and relieving it for the wounded who survived the war is an area of growing concern. We're talking with Dr. Trip Buckenmeyer, Chief of the Defense and Veterans Pain Management Initiative at the Walter Reed Army Medical Center. He's created new methods of providing pain relief at the time of injury. Dr. Buckenmeyer, welcome to the show. And tell us about what the Army is doing to combat pain. Well, we actually got started before 9-11, and uh, it was a, in response to the previous uh, conflicts um, in Desert Storm, and we thought regional anesthesia which is providing anesthesia to a, a region of the body using local anesthetics like Novocaine that uh, you get at the dentist, would be a, uh, this technology was emerging in the, the 1990s. We thought it had a, a real place on the battlefield, uh, but we were sort of reinventing this, this technology at the, at the time, and, and that was how we, we got started. Trip, tell us a little bit about the phrase that I've read time and time again, uh, that pain is weakness leaving the body, uh, that's often used in the military. Uh, it's a euphemism. It's uh, a, a term that soldiers will use to, to talk about how they can uh, weather a challenge, um, deal with physical discomfort, and move out. So it's a cultural issue within the military that when you're you're in a battle um, that's something that I think anybody could relate would be a positive uh, attribute in your soldiers but from a pain management perspective uh, that culture uh, uh, is sometimes challenging when you're trying to manage pain in a severely wounded soldier. It seems like your organization that has made some major strides in the delivery of pain care from the time of the Civil War, for example, or World War II, when simply morphine was used. 
Well, and that's correct. Uh, there's a couple of things that have changed about the current conflict. Uh, I'm not taking anything away from previous conflicts, certainly World War II, Vietnam, Korea. Uh, it's not that we weren't managing pain, but patients were static in these conflicts. You had to be stable for transport. So you had personnel on the ground that could use medications such as morphine very effectively in that static environment. And if there were consequences of the use of these opioids, uh, namely respiratory depression, nausea and vomiting, um, sedation, those could be easily managed by military nurses and, and physicians that were out in these environments. Well, now we're evacuating these casualties thousands of miles, uh, and they're passing through multiple hands uh, very rapidly. And those same tools were not as effective in helping us manage pain in this new environment. Tell us, Tripp, if we examine some of the injuries that we're now seeing on the battlefield, what are you seeing today in these conflicts, for example, in Afghanistan and Iraq, compared to previous conflicts? Well, we have a less than 10% died of wounds rate. So more people are surviving than ever before. I attribute that to the medics far forward on the battlefield, the physicians and far forward surgical teams that are able to do life-saving surgery and provide uh, transfusions of blood products very far uh, forward, close to where uh, these soldiers are injured, um, which has made all the difference in survival. But that means that people that probably did not survive in previous conflicts that are surviving now uh, are coming to us with far more complex wounds. So it's not unheard of to see a patient missing uh, one extremity, two extremities, even three or four extremities. Uh, with other complex injuries to include abdominal, chest, and, and head wounds. And when you put on top of that some of the things that have come out of the current conflict with our understanding of uh, traumatic brain injury, the concussions of these blasts um, causing problems with uh, the central nervous system, or uh, post-traumatic stress, which in the past we've called shell shock or battle fatigue, um, when, you, when we we finally have kind of figured out that all of these uh, issues play a role in the overall patient's uh, ability to recover. You've made major innovations to the provision of pain relief from the time of injury on the actual battlefield. So could you take us through an actual experience that you've had on the battlefield, uh, perhaps in Afghanistan, uh, the types of wounds you've seen, and the type of pain relief that can be actually uh, provided at this point? One case that sticks in my mind was a, a young uh, British lieutenant who um, was the unfortunate uh, recipient of an improvised explosive device that uh, removed his left foot. He came in with a traumatic a amputation. Uh, we have very effective tourniquets out on the battlefield, but the tourniquet that had been applied to him had uh, was loose, and so he had bled quite a bit while he was out on the battlefield, but he was still alert. These guys are very uh, young and healthy, so uh, they can stand a lot of blood loss before they... Uh, have issue. So he came to our uh, facility in at Bastion in Afghanistan, and we uh, I was his trauma anesthesiologist, and he was very concerned about the loss of his foot, and he had insight, obviously, into what this was going to mean for the rest of his life. And I was able to make a promise to him. I said, don't worry, because he was in an awful lot of pain. I was using 
This was just before I gave him a little bit of ketamine. But I said, don't worry, when you wake up, you'll be comfortable. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by Neurogesics, a biopharmaceutical company focused on developing and commercializing novel pain management therapies. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. Follow us on Twitter at drpaulchristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. Welcome back to Aches and Gains. Dr. Buckenmeyer is taking us through his experience treating pain in a soldier's foot that was blown off during battle. We went ahead and uh, went to the OR to uh, clean his wound and uh, deal with the amputation. He uh, had lost enough blood that he actually required uh, what we consider a, a massive resuscitation to get him back from that blood loss. But before I woke him up, I pulled out an ultrasound machine and I placed catheters next to the nerves that serve his leg and using local anesthetics that I mentioned earlier, was able to turn off the signals coming from his foot, uh, essentially telling his brain that he'd lost his foot. So when he woke up and I took him back to the recovery room, uh, he was very comfortable, still a little bit sedated from the anesthesia that I had provided. But when I, had come, when I came back uh, 45 minutes later after finishing up with the other trauma cases we had, this young man was sitting up in bed. He was on the phone to his mother back in England, and his exact words were, Mom, I had to give him a foot, but I'm doing okay, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Do you provide these nerve blocks on the front line or later in the hospital? When we fight wars now, the entire area that we're fighting in is, is often subject to fire. These IEDs are all over the area of operations that really isn't a defined front line. Um, when we deploy, I deploy in level three facilities that are on, on static bases that are very well protected. Um, they sometimes come on, under fire and we consider them on the battlefield, but it's not what the medic is dealing with out you know, in the fight. Uh, so the regional anesthetics right now that we're able to provide are actually at these facilities on these major bases within the theater of uh, uh, operations. But interestingly, we are developing a curriculum right now with our special forces medics to actually begin to introduce some uh, basic regional anesthesia techniques for the lower extremity and the upper extremities uh, far forward uh, through single injection blocks in situations where a medic may not be able to get it casually back uh, as fast as uh, they would like to in situations where they cannot afford a casualty to be sedated or nauseated from other medications. And local anesthetics in this situation essentially can create a, a situation where the soldier may still be able to shoot, move, and communicate. How is the military using ketamine on the battlefield, and are they using it intranasally? Um, they have been for quite some time. Um, we're having some difficulties right now actually fielding because of uh, FDA regulations and uh, mechanical issues, the device to deliver nasal ketamine, but it's already being done oftentimes just with uh, a, a syringe uh, into a, a patient's nair uh, where it's easily absorbed. Certainly from a, the perspective of managing these casualties through the system, uh, ketamine has is, is now been used on evacuation flights from lawn stool and from the battlefield. Uh, we, are, we have a variety of protocols going on here at Walter Reed right now where we use ketamine as an infusion uh, and adjunct to other uh, 
drug infusions for pain uh, very successfully. Dr. Buckenmeyer, I want to thank you for making a difference in the lives of America's military wounded. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. It was a pleasure having you with us today. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Don't go away. We'll be right back with email questions from our listeners. Tune in next time when we explore another interesting topic on Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by Boston Scientific, a leader in microelectric implantable technologies used to treat chronic neuropathic pain. King Pharmaceuticals, a leading pharmaceutical company focused in specialty-driven markets, including pain management, and dedicated to improving and protecting quality of life for people around the world. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Follow Aches and Gains on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. Each week we invite you to email Dr. Christo with your questions at achesandgains at gmail.com. Here's a question from Antoine in Reston, Virginia. Dr. Christo, my foot was blown off during my tour of duty in Iraq two years ago. My foot and ankle were amputated, and now I feel a cramping and stabbing pain in that area. It never goes away and gets worse when I'm working too many hours. I'm cranky and upset with my kids all the time. What can I do? Well, Antoine, you're describing something called phantom pain, which is pain in a body part that's no longer present. It happens in 50 to 80% of, of all amputees and is often caused or worsened by things like weather changes and pressure on the part of the leg closest to the phantom, and this is known as the stump or the residual limb. Successful treatments can be hard to find, but there are many medicines, including morphine, that can be useful. Nerve blocks, or botulinum toxin, known as Botox injections, can be done into the amputated stump, and these have been shown to be effective. Spinal cord stimulation has been shown to reduce phantom limb pain as well. Relaxation training and biofeedback are some psychological techniques that amputees report helpful. An exciting treatment called mirror box therapy is showing some success too. This is a box with two mirrors in the center. You place the good limb into one side and the stump into the other side, then look into the mirror and make movements with the good limb. The mirror allows you to see the reflection of the foot that exists in a place where the missing foot would be. The theory is that your brain receives artificial feedback that the amputated limb is now moving when you move the good foot. We're finding that this training has led to long-term improvement of phantom pain. And here's another question from Bailey from Ocean City, Maryland. I often take Tylenol for pain. Is it really bad to drink while taking this medicine? Good question, Bailey. Tylenol, also known as acetaminophen, is often a first-line medication for pain and fever. It's classified as an NSAID, that is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, like ibuprofen, but has weaker anti-inflammatory effects and doesn't work in the same fashion as ibuprofen. Remember to limit your total daily dose to 4,000 milligrams. The FDA may lower the maximum dose to 3,000 milligrams per day in the future. In fact, the FDA has recently required that the dose of acetaminophen be limited to, three, be limited to 325 milligrams per tablet in pain-relieving drugs like Vicodin and Percocet. Why? If it's used in higher-than-recommended doses, acetaminophen can cause liver injury or even liver failure. 
If you drink alcohol while taking acetaminophen, your risk of liver injury increases, so avoid any alcohol while taking any drug that contains acetaminophen. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Eric Vohr and Dr. Paul Christo. Ty Ford is the audio engineer, and Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.